Uh, before I dive into this, I, uh, last week uh, I was exhorting you strongly about uh, something at one point regarding uh, negativity and pessimism uh, uh, regarding the future and whatnot. And in the context of that sentence, if you weren't here, this won't make any sense, but if you were here, maybe it will. I, I used the phrase, shut up, uh, if you're stuck in this negativity and pessimism and cynicism. And I just wanted to apologize for that and ask your forgiveness. Uh, the word shut up is not very helpful or edifying. Uh, uh, and anyways, forgive me. Uh, so, okay. Um, Let's dive in. I didn't hear all the hubbub of what that it's about, but maybe it's best I didn't. Okay. Uh, prophecy, here we go. Uh, Lynn didn't ask me to say this, but I would encourage you to get her book. Uh, it's helpful because it's short, okay? Uh, and I mean that seriously. Uh, many prophecies go, prophecy books and presentations, dive into things so thickly and deeply and exhaustively that you get lost in the picture of what's happening. And the bottom line is Jesus is coming back, okay? And we have clues about the timing of that and the characteristics of the day when he will return, but we don't have exact timelines. And uh, I appreciate so many of the prophecy teachers that are on TV, but some of them, I think, get so adamant on their opinion and their timeline, I, I think they're pushing it more than uh, even God wants us uh, uh, to have this clear timeline about. I heard this prophecy issue described in this way once. Say you're standing on a peak of mountains, okay, and there's ridges way off into the future. And you can see the first ridge and the second ridge and the third ridge and the fourth ridge, but you can't see the depth in between each ridge or the distance between each ridge. So you're just looking off and seeing, okay, I see this ridge, I see this, I see that, okay? Um, and this gentleman made the point, he said, that's a little bit like, a lot like prophecy, okay? Jesus has prophesied all throughout the New Testament and then he finally came. Okay? And then he's prophesied to come again, and then all the other characteristics of the book of Revelation and Matthew 24 and whatnot. But we don't know the depth between those prophecies, and we don't know the length between each ridge. And that helped me on this subject of prophecy. Okay? We get characteristics, we get signs of the times, we get things that help us. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, some call it a super sign, and that is the establishment of the state of Israel. Okay? So that was a really a significant huge sign that we are getting closer to the Lord's return. Okay? There's other things, and, and, and uh, we can't uh, cover them all today. But uh, get Lynn's book. It's helpful. It helped me to see from Daniel, okay, Ezekiel, Matthew, Revelation, and see the broad picture and get lost in little minutiae here and there that, that kind of clouds the, 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 the issue and uh, uh, makes it really more uh, confusing, okay? I was watching a program uh, a couple nights ago from something called Prophecy Watchers, 
okay? Uh, and I've seen their magazine, and I, I thought it was helpful and a good reminder, almost like a quickening of these days uh, that we live in. And the gentleman was talking about artificial intelligence. And I can't say that I know much about that or have read much about it, but he was talking about the fact that artificial intelligence is becoming so prominent that it's really easy for that, and it's already happening, for that to be a, a tool for surveillance of people. And it's already being used in China. If you go into a store in China and try to swipe your credit card with a purchase, uh, there is data that will come up at some database saying that uh, uh, you know, uh, it's thought that you might be involved in a church, that you're not supportive of the communist China, that you're not supportive of the climate agenda, that whatever else, and your purchase can be canceled immediately right then, okay? And there's all kinds of things going on about chip implants and identification of people and surveillance. One of the gentlemen mentioned that uh, they were uh, in his car one day and they were talking about types of sweaters that different family members wanted. Uh, for Christmas or somebody's birthday or something. And in a few moments on one of their phones came up all these advertisements about sweaters. And he said it was really creepy to think that somehow that conversation went through the phone, went to some database, and they decided, well, we're going to send them some sweater advertisements. Okay? So these things are going on. Okay? Uh, and... Uh, uh, one other note, I was talking to uh, Francine Jenner a couple weeks ago, and they had been in Boston visiting some friends, and uh, they went up to the door of a church, uh, an old, whether it was Episcopalian or Lutheran, I don't know, but they tried to open the door, and it was locked. Well, someone rattled the door on the inside of the door and opened the door, and a man was standing there in a Halloween costume, okay, it was around Halloween, and he was all excited, and he said, we're worshiping Satan, we're worshiping Satan, he's here. And of course, they just backed up and they left, okay? And uh, um, not trying to be too weird or scare you, but this stuff is going on in our world, okay? And they also noticed that all over Boston and many of those mainline cities are huge gay pride flags, just really pushing an agenda uh, for redefining sexuality, that's a, a, a contradiction to scripture. So Lord, uh, friends, we are in uh, troublesome times. We are in the last days uh, and we have a challenge to proclaim the gospel, okay? To walk in hope, not in fear. And I believe that uh, we can do that, okay? Uh, look at your outline there if you would, or look, excuse me, look at the verse, Luke chapter 17, verse 20. This whole passage is about uh, the second coming and pointing us uh, towards that. Verse 20, Luke 17. One son being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Okay? That word when there is interesting, okay? The Pharisees said when uh, would the kingdom of God come. It reminds me of going to a prophecy conference and maybe they have a question and answer time at the end and somebody says, when's Armageddon going to be? When's the millennium going to be? When's the rapture going to happen, okay? 
Typical questions that are asked, not bad questions, good questions, okay? But the Pharisees want to know, when is the kingdom of God uh, going to come, okay? Now, we're going to find out in a moment that the Pharisees' idea of the kingdom of God and Jesus' idea of the kingdom of God are two different things, very different things, okay? And Jesus says the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, okay? On your blank there, on your outline, the ideas of the Pharisees, excuse me, and Jesus regarding the kingdom of God are different, okay? They're different. Now, the Pharisees are hoping for the Messiah, but they want some return to some golden age, okay, similar to when Solomon was on the throne, okay, okay, and the Messiah comes, and all they can see are Roman soldiers, and they believe and know that Israel is God's chosen people, and Rome shouldn't be here, and the kingdom of God apparently hasn't come yet, because all we can see are Roman soldiers and Roman uh, domination of our area, okay? So then Jesus comes back and says, it's not something that you can say, well, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, the Pharisees have a fundamental problem, and that is that they don't recognize who Jesus is. You're not going to understand the kingdom if the king is standing right in front of you and you don't recognize that he's the king, right? It stands to reason. Turn your paper over, if you will, and uh, some familiar scriptures that we often review during Christmas season, okay? Jesus is God, the Word made flesh, the eternal King, okay, the second person of the Trinity. Matthew 2.2, he's the King of the Jews. Matthew 2.6, he's the ruler who will shepherd Israel. Uh, Luke 1.33, his kingdom will never end. 177, Jesus will forgive sins. Okay, the statement of forgiving sins means Jesus is God. Only God can forgive sins. And this is what drove the Pharisees nuts. Okay, because when he used that statement in some instances, your sins are forgiven. The, the, the Pharisees just went ballistic. Like only God forgives sins. Who are you? We know your father and mother. We know where you came from. You can't be God in the flesh. So they're never going to understand the kingdom because they don't recognize the king that's standing in front of you, in front of them. Luke 2.11, Savior, Messiah, Lord, all titles for Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 7.14, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Isaiah 9.6, uh, the mighty God. Okay, so all these tell us who Jesus is in his eternal person. That eternal person that was confined to a physical body for 33 years, okay? And bridging the gap in his death between us and the Father, okay? So Jesus, the second blank, the king of God's kingdom, is directly in front of them, and they don't see it. Why? Religious pride, okay? Spiritual blindness, uh, Jesus didn't meet their expectations, okay? Uh, all, all the above uh, would fit this, okay? So the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed, okay? It's not here, it's not there, okay? It, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, some people's translations may say the kingdom of God is within you, okay? That's probably not the best translation, Okay, and I don't think that Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, 
They were full of pride and religious observance and, and all these things uh, that they thought this is how you get to God, okay? So I think the best translation is to say, uh, as mine says, I don't know what yours says, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Go back, because I want you to see one of my favorite uh, descriptions of the coming of this kingdom and what happens when the king gives power and authority to his people and he goes out and utilizes it, okay? Luke chapter 10, okay? Verse 17, Jesus has given power and authority to the disciples in chapter 9, and here he expands that to 72, and they come back in Luke 10, 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So what we know, and I think we've gone over this before, but it's important to remember, Satan is thrown out of heaven in Isaiah 14. He's here on the earth. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He has limited power and influence, but he deceives people and he destroys people and he lies to people. He's the author of shame and all kinds of horrible stuff. But he has influence here on the earth. Okay, and he has the biggest influence when people give themselves over to some evil activity. It gives Satan a hedgerow into them. And so what had to happen? Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of the Kingdom, comes here to earth and invades Satan's realm here in the earth. And I just love that picture, okay? They go out, they cast out demons, and Jesus says, I see him fall as lightning from heaven. You can say amen. One of my favorite passages in the scripture. Friends, the gospel that we have in our hearts, in our lives, sets captives free. People are in bondage. They are lost. They don't have any hope. Look everywhere. Proclaim the gospel and know that Jesus sets captives free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And this is what the gospel is about. The Pharisees didn't understand that. They were thinking of political kingdoms. They were thinking of their own national entity. Okay, they didn't realize that the kingdom of God was way bigger than that. The last blank there, those who are in the kingdom of God experience an invisible heart change that has experienced forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Now let's go on to the second section, okay, in verse 22, okay? Uh, the verses there, uh, the first verses, the kingdom of God is 20 to 21. The second section is verse 22 to 25, okay? And look what it says in verse 22. Then the, he said to his disciples... Okay, so first he's talking to the Pharisees. They don't understand what he's talking about. Then he zooms in, if you will, on the disciples. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Okay, so the disciples have been told, I'm going to go to the cross. Peter didn't, uh, Peter didn't understand it. There was disappointment. What do you mean you're leaving? Jesus says, it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come. Of course, he goes to the cross. He rises from the dead. He goes back. He ascends to heaven. Okay? And then we see in Acts 1 where it says, an angel speaks after this ascension and says, what are you standing here looking up into the sky? It's like he said, hey, there's work to do. Get moving. 
No, he didn't say that, okay? But he said, in the same way that you've seen him go, he will come again. I love that. Friends, the skies are going to split open. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There was doubt and confusion among some when Jesus walked on the earth. Who is this? When he returns, there will be no doubt. It'll be clear. We are looking at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he will return. Okay? So, but in the meantime, the disciples, and he just says, look, uh, uh, and, and no doubt, I think the underlying message is persecution is going to come. And when that persecution comes, I bet they look at each other and say, what would Jesus have done right now? Wasn't it cool when Jesus was here? Wasn't it neat by the Sea of Galilee? Wasn't it great to be together with him and ask him face to face, what do we do with this, okay? They're going to reflect on that. And I think part of them also is reflecting, hey, he said he was going to come again. Maybe he will come today, okay? The anticipation and the hope of the church ever since the beginning, anticipating the second coming of Christ, okay? So look at your outline there. Jesus says you will miss face-to-face -face fellowship with me, okay? Second line, uh, Jesus says you will anticipate my second coming. Look what it says next in this section. Okay, verse 23, people will tell you there he is or here he is. Do not go running after them. We're talking about false messiahs. We're talking about deception, okay? I remember reading a story years ago that the Beatles went to Kathmandu in India because everyone's saying, if you meet this one spiritual leader, he will give you enlightenment, okay? And so they went to India and they met with this person and after they left, they realized he's just as messed up as we are. It didn't work. And you can list a million people throughout the generations, okay, uh, uh, who have said, I've got the answer, I've got the answer, okay? And people followed them and they were disappointed. Charles Feinberg is a Jewish, uh, 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 Christian. he's a Christian, but he's a Jewish scholar. And he gives the number somewhere in the 60s, uh, 65, 66 approximately, of how many people have, have, have risen up since, since the founding of Israel and said, I am the Messiah. The latest one was back in the 90s, a Rabbi Mendel Schneerson in Brooklyn, okay? And he died in 1994, so I guess he wasn't the Messiah. Uh, and I've done a little bit of reading on him, and uh, I don't think he believed he was the Messiah himself, but others looked to him and thought, this must be our Messiah, okay? So this has happened all throughout the generations, and what it requires is that you know what this book says, and that you have some discernment, and that you think, use your head. Say, has the Messiah come? Is this the Messiah? What's this person about, okay? And what I always ask in reading and discussions, I say, who is Jesus? You ask that question and you get to the fundamental identity of someone's beliefs. 
And if it says, as it says in 1 John, there in one of the epistles, it says, if you deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, there can't be much more prophetic than that, can there? But if someone says, Jesus never come in the flesh, the incarnation is not true, Jesus was a nice moral teacher, he taught us how to live, whatever, but he wasn't God in the flesh, they have missed the biblical message of the church. What did Thomas say when Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I see his nail prints. Okay? And when he saw the nail prints in Jesus' hands, he said, my Lord which is a statement of deity. And then he said, my God, which is a statement of deity. Jesus is God in the flesh. Okay? And he will return in that same flesh, okay, and be visible to all. And that's the central message of all prophetic teaching, though people can differ on different issues in uh, prophecy. Look back at your outline, if you will. Okay, in the middle section, uh, you will miss face-to-face fellowship with me. You will anticipate my second coming. Third blank, don't be deceived by false prophets or false messiahs. Okay, happen all throughout the generations. So look at verse 24. For the Son of Man in his day... Okay, you could underline that phrase, in his day... Okay, and we'll come back to that in a moment. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Okay? When Jesus returns, it will be clearly visible like lightning. When Jesus came the first time, you could miss who he was. Now, If you followed him long enough and heard him speak and saw him do miracles, it ought to sink in at some point. But some hardened by religious pride and all kinds of other stuff that said, no, we don't believe, okay? But when he comes a second time, there's going to be no doubt. When Jesus returns, it will be clearly visible like lightning. Now, just to comment that phrase there, son of man, okay? Son of man is used about 80 times. I think it's exactly 80 times in the New Testament. And it's a title Jesus gives for himself, okay? Speaking of the fact that he actually came in flesh, okay, as a physical flesh and blood person, okay, but also a prophetic title, okay, uh, pointing towards him coming uh, again, okay? Um, So when we see that Son of Man, uh, we see it again and again uh, throughout Scripture referring to himself. That phrase, in his day, is important, okay? Turn your paper or over again, okay? This phrase, in his day, okay, uh, uh, refers to the day of the Lord, okay? And uh, And it's a time of imminent judgment and God intervening on the affairs of man, okay? These scriptures here speak of this. Zephaniah 1.14, the great day of the Lord is near. Okay? Joel 1.15, the day of the Lord is near. Joel 2.28, dreadful day of the Lord. Joel 3.12, the day of the Lord is near. Okay? Revelation 6, great day of his wrath. Revelation 16, gather them, great day of God Almighty. The day of the Lord speaks of this eminent, close uh, intervention of God in the affairs on the earth. 
Now, God has intervened in events all throughout history. Okay, he intervened when the children of Israel uh, exited Egypt. Okay, he's intervened in other places with Elijah and Elisha. He intervened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He intervened in his son in the Gospels. God is close to his creation. He's going to redeem his creation. And he's pouring out his spirit, and his spirit is continuing to abide close to his creation to draw people to himself. Okay? When we have this phrase, day of the Lord, though, we are pointing towards prophetic pictures where it's like God says, I love you, my son died for you, I'm drawing to you myself, but I've had enough. The party is over. Okay, and when I look at some of the evil in our world, it kind of rises up in me like, Lord, show up. Show people who you are. Okay? And and as we look at our troubled, disturbed world, maybe you think uh, the same thing. Okay? So uh, look back at your outline because now we have two examples that Jesus gives of times when God uh, intervened. Okay, look what it says here because it recounts uh, the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Verse 26, just as it was, okay? So Jesus said, I'm going to return. It'll be like lightning. Everyone will see, okay? And, and, and then he's saying, now here's an example of what I'm trying to tell you about. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, in and of itself, eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, there's nothing wrong with that. That's normal activities. But I would clarify it in this way. It's living with a complete lack of awareness of God. I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm working, I got my family, I'm doing the things that are fun, but I live with no fear of the Lord, no awareness of God, no awareness about what this book says, okay? I want you to see these examples because I think they're a good reminder. And if you would turn back to Genesis 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, And with them, the animals, birds, creatures that moved along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless, faithful, uh, 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 blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Sound like our day? Verse 12. 
God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said, okay, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And it goes on and of course you know the flood, okay? You need to see that, okay, and realize Jesus is speaking, okay, and he's saying back at that time, the violence and the corruption was so evil that judgment came, okay? Look at this next example. Turn over to uh, 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 chapter 19 in Genesis. Okay, we have Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Lot was there, okay? And uh, uh, there was a, a pleading for his life. Are you going to destroy this place because of one uh, a person? Uh, uh, are you going to save that one righteous person? And look in verse 23 and see what it says. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Friends, in, in our generation, this is pretty politically incorrect. Amen? Okay? Uh, in a lot of places, if you read that, you'd be laughed out of the place and be called a fool. Friend, God's judgment is real. And there's a point where he says, in light of his grace and the Calvary and all that he's done, he says, okay, if you don't want salvation and forgiveness, have it your way. You could have your choice. You can continue to live that way. Friends, sin destroys people's lives. Apart from any dramatic intervention uh, from God to bring judgment, just living for sin and for yourself will destroy you in the end just by itself. It just will. You were created to know God and to walk with God and have a relationship with God. And when you don't do that, you open your life to all kinds of, of, of garbage, okay? On top of that, though, when evil and corruption get so bad, and we will see this in the book of Revelation and other places, God says, enough is enough. You're going to walk your own way, your own rebellion, your own sin. You're going to think you're the king of your own ship, that you can master your own fate. Well, I'm going to show you that's not the whole story. There is a God, and sometimes he intervenes with Judgment, okay? And we see that in prophetic passages. And just as it happened then, it will happen in our world on the unrepentant and upon evil. Look at your blank there in the third section. Noah and Lot are Old Testament examples of God's judgment. God's judgment is hard for our politically correct generation to grasp, Okay? It, it's, you know, ridiculous. It's, that's stupid. That's, that's a myth. That's what much uh, of our world says. Look at Luke 17 and see what it says. Because I'm going to connect Noah and Lot to the next section in the passage. Luke chapter 17, verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. And verse 30, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. 
When Jesus comes back in Revelation 19 to reveal himself in all of his glory and power, there's going to be judgment and destruction on evil and the unrepentant. Now, friends, we could cut these out of our Bibles if we wanted and say, well, God is all about hearts and flowers and making you feel good about yourself and giving a happy, satisfied life. And he is. Following Jesus is the best way to live. Okay? But there will be judgment on evil and the unrepentant. Okay? It's going to happen. It's right here in the Bible. So let's not skip it and say that it's not there because it's not palatable to our culture. The last blank there in that third section, at the return of Jesus, spiritually unaware people are living their daily normal lives. Okay? Life is good. We're just floating along, doing our own thing. Okay? Uh, That's spiritual lack of awareness. Okay, the last section, look at verse 30, and we'll wrap it up. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the house step with possessions inside should go down and, and get them. This whole section is about living with awareness and your eyes lifted up. You're not consumed with daily physical activities. You're anticipating the second coming of Christ. The early church used to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Parables in the New Testament talk about living with your lamp full, with anticipating, with readiness for Christ to return. Not in fear, but saying, Lord, who can I tell uh, about Jesus uh, today? Okay? The last, second to last blank, those who are part of the kingdom of God will be raptured. Okay? Or you could put the phrase caught up. Okay? To be caught up is the same as raptured. Okay? And turn to 1 Thessalonians 4 for a moment. See what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay, the early church was worried that Jesus had come back or was about to come back. Maybe they missed it. Okay, Uh, and Paul addresses this concern. Okay, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him or died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. That's intervention. That's the day of the Lord. That's him coming, okay, with a loud command, with the voice of of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left. We'll be caught up together or raptured with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. And of course, that opens a million questions that we'll have to address at another time. (laughs) Okay, but the rapture is going to come. Okay, Uh, I believe it will happen before the tribulation. Okay, Uh, but there's a lot of debate about that. Uh, But uh, what I say every day, heaven is looking better all the time. Okay, 
The last verse at the end, and we'll conclude. Look what it says in in, uh, worship team. You can come. Luke 17. The worship team is all saying, Drew, wrap it up. Luke 17, uh, 37. Uh, It says this. Okay? The disciples are asking this question. Where, Lord? Where is this going to happen? And he replies, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Okay? It's a picture of judgment. And you don't have to read very far in Revelation to see devastation, judgment, uh, loss of life, and all kinds of disturbing things. Last blank, God's judgment will be obvious as signified by vultures and dead bodies. What a happy way to end a sermon. <laughs> Friends, it's the ultimate conquest of evil by God. Okay? Just read one, watch one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Good against evil, okay? You never know who's going to win, okay? In our case, we know who's going to win. And he says, the spirit of God is in you. You can have hope, okay? Go out and spread the gospel. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for these words. Apply it into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.